Okay, we'll get started. So turn in your homework if you haven't already. Uh, this is the last lecture on this set of notes. So if you wanted to download the next set of notes, it's chapter 19, and that's been posted now. So pretty much what we're going to be doing today is uh, sort of going back in the chapter and also uh, potentially back to material that you may have covered in an introductory optics course and talking about polarization and the mathematical description of how we treat polarization. That's going to be useful in understanding uh, how to analyze different designs that have polarizing elements in them. It'll be useful for understanding modulators, which we'll be doing a lot of with acousto-optics and electro-optics. And it's also useful in understanding things like wave plates um, and Faraday rotators, which we've uh, been deriving and, and describing in the last couple lectures. So polarization is a direction of the electric field, um, or it's a direction of the electric displacement in a material. Um, and because it's a direction, we can describe a vector associated with it. So um, we can use something called Jones calculus to keep track of the direction of polarization as it propagates through a system. Jones calculus is a uh, combination of using matrices and vectors. A matrix, or a two by two tensor, is an element that acts on a two-dimensional vector to transform it into another two-dimensional vector. So we will use matrices to represent optical elements. We'll use vectors to represent polarizations. An optical element acts on light, takes an input light, produces an output light. A matrix takes an input vector, produces an output vector. So there's an analogy there. And what we need to do is just build up this machinery I need to do is turn on my clicker. There we go. Um, with some basic definitions for what we describe horizontal, vertical, all the different polarization states of light that we're going to deal with as vectors. And then we'll treat all the different uh, elements, individual optical elements, look at them and how we can treat them as matrices. And then putting together an optical system and understanding how light propagates through it will be as easy as putting together a bunch of matrices, multiplying it by a vector, and seeing what comes out. Okay, so we're going to use phasor notation. And I've been using this form for phasor notation where we have a wave that's propagating forwards in space. So here we consider a wave propagating along z. I've got kz minus omega t. So as time increases, uh, z has to increase as well for a point to have a uh, for a point on the wave front to have a constant phase. Okay, so it's a forward-going wave. Um, I mention that because a lot of the textbooks, many of the textbooks, use the opposite notation, like kz plus omega t, which would represent a backwards-traveling wave. And if you do that, um, all these Jones vectors and matrices that you derive based on this uh, description of your polarization state have sign differences. Okay. So I believe this format is consistent with HECT. And I 
believe it's opposite of what's used in this textbook. Um, I, where I could, I tried to use the same as this textbook, but this is one where I actually think this one makes more sense. So I, I, I intentionally chose to use this notation, and as a result, we're going to have expressions that are a little different than the textbook. Okay, so um, how can we describe different polarization states of light? Well, we'll choose a basis set for our vectors that in uh, coordinate frame that we're using makes sense. So if we want to consider linear polarization, then we might choose xy as our, as our coordinate system. And in doing so, we can write the x and y components of a vector like this. Okay, so vertical polarization can be represented by a unit vector 0, 1. So no x component, but unit amplitude in y. Horizontal polarization then would be 1, 0. Linear polarization is just going to be equal amplitude of x and y. Uh, I'm sorry, linear at 45 degrees is equal amplitude of x and y. And at some arbitrary angle, With respect to the x-axis, we're just going to get um, ex is equal to cosine theta, ey is equal to sine theta. Okay, so that's a given there. Circular polarization can also be represented in this xy coordinate system because these components are phasor amplitudes, and they don't need to be real. So for example, if the x component is imaginary, and the y component is real, like we have here, that represents a phasor that when we multiply through by this phase term, looks like then an i is a phase shift of plus pi over 2. So I'll take the i and I'll write it as a phase shift. Okay, because that's not how you do it. The length is E times E star. So E dotted with E star. Okay, so it's a. Okay, so let's see what this represents. We'll draw our coordinate system. And. We'll pick 
z equals 0. That's the location to evaluate this. And we'll start at time t equals 0. So the y component has a magnitude of plus 1 over the square root of 2. So this will be plus 1, plus 1. The y component is plus square root of over 2, uh, plus 1 over square root of 2. The x component has a 90 degree phase shift. So e to the i pi over 2 is i. Right? The real part of that is 0. So when y is this, x is 0. And that's where we start. That's the direction of the electric field at t equals 0. And as time evolves, the y component is going to get smaller and go to 0. The x component is going to, the argument of this is going to approach 0, meaning it's going to increase. This is going to increase to a magnitude of plus 1 over square root of 2. So as time evolves, the tip of the electric field vector is going to trace out this circular path. Okay, so we are looking from the plus z direction at this, and the sense of rotation is right-handed, as viewed by us looking at the light. Left circular polarization, you might be able to guess you could just multiply one of these x or y components by minus 1. And you change the relative sense of rotation. And if you do that, by minus one. So let's consider right circular polarization as I1, then left circular polarization, we should be able to get by changing the sign. Right, so this is going to be equivalent to, if we multiply this by i, multiplying by a magnitude doesn't change the direction at all. So when we multiply that i through, i times minus i is 1. i times 1 is i. So you can write it left circular polarization just with the 1s and i's flipped or with a sign change in one of the parameters. OK, and so this is where the expression is going to differ than that in the book. It's because we have the phase of the light being important. And we've got a different, uh, different definition for the phase. These terms that had linear polarization are independent of the phase of the light. Jones matrices will represent as two by two matrices. Um, 
And when that matrix acts on an input polarization, it's going to tell you the output polarization of the optical element. So we can look at the Jones matrix for a number of different elements. One of the simplest is a retarder. So a retarder just delays the propagation of the light, adds a phase shift to it. Um, and typically, we describe a retarder as such when it's birefringent, when it delays one phase relative to the other. Okay, so if we let the phase shift of the two polarization states, the two, the two uh, principal polarization states of light going through a material, as being delta phi, okay, and that's going to depend on the difference in the indices of refraction and how far the light has propagated through the material. So that phase shift is called delta phi. Then we can write the Jones matrix as producing a phase delay on one polarization relative to the other of delta phi. Okay, and if we're only concerned about how these optical elements affect the, the, the polarization state, we don't need to worry about any um, any overall phase factor on this. Okay, so the birefringence produces this relative phase shift. And you might ask, well, does it really delay this polarization or does it advance this polarization? Um, it's irrelevant in terms of keeping track of the polarization state, which it does. If you wanted to include the phase shift, there'd also be an e to the i k average n here. There'd be a term that accounts for the average phase shift of both polarization states that we're not going to include. We just don't care about it right now. If we put that uh, e to the i delta phi, if we want to put in the 1, 1 position, would it be e to the minus i delta phi? Yes. Uh, 1 in the yes. position? Yes. So, mm -hmm. so that's just... Okay, so how do you... Because the way you have it, it's ny minus nx, but if we were to put it in the 1, 1 position, Go back to our definition. So, adding phase, adding something to this uh, exponent here, which is what we're doing when we multiply by e to the i delta phi, assuming delta phi is positive. Adding some phase means in order to get the same phase, the same total phase, uh, the, the time needs to increase. Okay. So the wavefront gets delayed. More time is required. Where do I put, you know what I mean? Where do I put it in the matrix if I want to advance? 
Well, you can, there's a couple options. Um, one is you can think about it each time, which isn't a bad thing to do. But um, if you follow the um, derivations in a textbook, usually you'll end up with something like this, like a chart that shows you what you can use for the different uh, polarization states. And later in the lecture notes, I've got a chart that shows the different matrices. And so those should all be consistent. So if you just use one source, you should be OK. If you want to do anything that requires you derive your own matrix or use a matrix that's not for one of the elements in the system and maybe you're referencing another text, then you need to match up and make sure that they're using the same uh, definition. OK, so we have names for some specific retarders. A retarder that retards one polarization state by a quarter of a wavelength. So wavefronts are propagating together in X and Y, and then they get delayed by a quarter wavelength after propagating through the, the material. We call that a quarter wave plate. Um, so that's just a retarder where the particular retardation is pi over 2. Right? So 2 pi is a full wavelength. The quarter wave is pi over 2. And so we can write we can write that like this. We had e to the i delta phi. So e to the i pi over 2 is just i. Okay, so you can see what that's going to do. That's going to add a phase shift. So i is a, is a 90 degree phase shift to one polarization state relative to the other. So here's a picture of that. Uh, here's a quarter wave plate. We have light polarized at 45 degrees. And the principal axes of this quarter wave plate are horizontal and vertical. So that really what we have is equal components of light along the fast axis and the slow axis. And so the slow axis, since it's slow, the light takes longer to get through and that gets delayed. That polarization state gets delayed relative to the fast axis. And so you can see the output polarization state here is the sum of these two phase shifted sine waves. And that's going to be, in space, it's a helix. And if you look at a particular plane in space, it's a point that traces out a circle. That's our circular polarization. Um, we can now do our first example of Jones calculus using this matrix, this input polarization state, to find that output polarization state. So input light polarized at 45 degrees, and write as 1, 1. This quarter wave plate has this matrix that will act on that polarization state. And I've got this uh, normalization factor here that was actually part of this, this unit vector. Um, if you only care about direction, you don't need to worry about these normalization factors. If you also want to be concerned about amplitude, then you want to include those. OK, so working our way through this, we easiest is to, well, in this case, there's only one one way to do this. We multiply this matrix by this vector. We get 1i right there. And that, we said, was, let's say that was right circular polarization. Now that was our left circular polarization. So if you start with orthogonally polarized input light, so instead of it this 45 degrees, it's at the other 45 degrees. What you get out should also be orthogonally polarized. Okay, so starting with 1 minus 1, 
acting, being acted on by the same element, we now get um, 1 minus i, or I can write that as i1, where I factored out the i. And that would be the right circular polarization. Okay, so um, just a couple things. Two polarization states are orthogonal. So E1 and E2 are orthogonal if E1 star dot E2 equals 0. If everything's real, that just looks like E1 dot E2 equals 0. Right? But once we have phase factors, we need to include that uh, complex conjugate. Um, Can you take the dot product? So we see only have the i up front. Uh -huh. Can you put the i back in before we take the dot product? Because the dot product has to be real. Well, you, you do need to put the i in, but if the dot product is going to evaluate to 0, whether you have this i here or not is going to be irrelevant. Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's show that these two polarization states are orthogonal. Uh, maybe we can start with this one. Right? 1, 1 and 1, minus 1 clearly are orthogonal. And we can say 1, 1 dotted with 1, minus 1 is equal to 1, minus 1 equals 0. Um, okay, so 1 over square root of 2 times 1i dotted with 1 over square root of 2i times i1. So I can take. Yes, oh, thank you. I'll write it like that first. OK, so the amplitude factors come out front. Thank you. And then I have uh, 1i dotted with minus i1. Right, so the dot product here is going to be 1 times minus i plus i times 1, which is 0. Okay, so left and, left and right circularly polarized light are orthogonal, and we can actually um, define a basis set in which those are the, um, those are the principal polarization states. So we started with x and y as our principal polarization states, and then we're defining the amount of light in x, the amount of light in y. We could also describe the amount of right circular polarization, the amount of left circular polarization. And you can see for example that uh, 1i plus 1 minus, well, let me write it the way I have it. So left circular polarization plus right circular polarization equals this. <coughs> what polarization state is that? Linear at what angle? 45. 45, yeah. Okay, so 
This is just, uh -huh. so it's just some amplitude that is complex times 1, 1. Okay, so if I had subtracted this, I would get this and, I'm sorry? Thank you. And 1 minus i, i minus 1, that would look like linear at minus 45. And so if I can describe any polarization in terms of two linear polarization states, and I can describe those linear polarization states in terms of two circular polarization states, then it follows I can de describe any polarization state in terms of two circular states. So you could have circular polarization states as your basis for doing Jones calculus. And sometimes that'll be more efficient if you're going through a material where, for example, it's optically active. And we can treat an optically active material as one where right circular polarization propagates at a different rate than left circular polarization. Yeah, so we may see, see an example like that later. Let's do an example of a pseudo-isolator. I mentioned this last time is a device that can be thrown together relatively inexpensively with materials that are usually around an optics lab and can prevent retroreflections from coming back and damaging your laser. So a pseudo-isolator is a polarizer. In this example, we'll set it to be horizontal. And then a quarter wave plate with its, uh, here I say fast axis, could be the slow axis as well, um, at 45 degrees with respect to the transmission axis of the polarizer. Okay. So let's draw this. Let's reason what we expect to happen and then see if we can use Jones calculus to support our reasoning. Here's a linear polarizer. I usually draw them as like beam splitter cubes because Quite frequently, that's what we use in the lab to polarize the light. And I'll say its transmission axis is at zero degrees. So I'll call zero degrees horizontal. And then I'll have a quarter wave plate. At 45 degrees. Okay, so let's look at what should happen. If I put light in some arbitrary polarization state, could have x and y. Um, what comes through here is only the x component. And my quarter wave plate is rotated 45 degrees with respect to that. Okay, so we already saw that example. We saw an example where um, our light was polarized at 45 degrees and our wave plate had its fast and slow axes at 0 and 90. And now we're just take that whole example we did and rotate it by 45 degrees and our light is horizontally polarized and our quarter wave plate is Okay, so we said uh, circular polarization came out. And for right now, it's not important whether that's left circular or right circular. So the light can transmit through. If the input light is horizontally polarized, it will all transmit through, but its polarization state will be changed. Now, if we put a mirror here that reflects the light, Mirror 
inverts the x direction, right? Inverts left and right. So left circular goes to right circular, right circular goes to left circular. Um, say it like this. If it inverts left and right, the sign on the x term changes. Make sense? So given that, what would the Jones matrix be for a mirror? So what that assumes is that our coordinate system is fixed and the light is changing direction. If you wanted, you could consider the light to continue to go forward and just rotate your coordinate system. Um, but if you use the same coordinate system, then you have to invert the x component on reflection from a mirror. So right circular gets converted to left circular and vice versa. Okay, so on the way back, so the opposite the orthogonal polarization state here. So what polarization state do you think we'd have after the quarter wave plate? Yeah, it should still be orthogonal. And if it's vertical, and this is a linear polarizer at zero degrees, it gets blocked. Was that what you used at um, No. Oh, so it's similar, right? So this is the cheap and easy way to make an isolator. Um, it's not ideal for two reasons, or there's, there's two issues with it. One is the output polarization state is circular. Um, and that's regardless of what your input polarization state is. So you might not want circular polarization state here. Now, it might not be a problem. Depends on your application. Let's see what would happen if you said, well, I really what I want is horizontal polarization. So let me just force it to be horizontal by putting in another one of these linear polarizers. Right, so here's my, this is my pseudo-isolator right there. So I've got my pseudo-isolator. Now I say, well, I want linear polarization at zero degrees. So let me put in that polarizer. What happens? Yeah, what's the polarization state of this uh, horizontal polarization after it reflects from the mirror? It's still horizontal. So it's going to come through here, and it's not going to be, it's no longer the polarization that's orthogonal to that. And now, horizontal polarization going through a quarter wave plate, we already saw that. Horizontal polarization going through a quarter wave plate produces circular. Right? So we're going to get circular. Circular polarization has equal magnitudes of x and y, so half of the intensity is going to get through this. So it no longer functions once you put polarization changing elements at the output. So it's cheap and easy. It only requires two elements, elements that are pretty common in an optics lab, but it restricts what you can put downstream. The Faraday isolator does not. And your homework this week is to design both those systems and go through the Jones calculus to show that that's the behavior. So I'm not going to do the Jones calculus for that class, although it's in the notes. So if you want to refer to the notes, when you do the homework, you'll have the solution in front of you. Um, 
OK, let's look at a few other elements. Um, this was our Jones matrix for a retarder. Some elements can have that retardation adjusted mechanically. So the two most common um, elements that do that, and we call them compensators, they're useful if you have some phase shift on some relative phase shift between two polarization states that you want to remove from the light or compensate for maybe the birefringence of some element. Uh, one way to do that is with a pair of prisms that are made out of a, uh, a, a, an anisotropic material. And the direction of the optical axis is shown here. So imagine these two prisms are cut out of, say, a uniaxial crystal, but the orientation of the optical axis is different in the two. So what that means is light propagating in this direction is going to see the extraordinary index of refraction. And in this material, it's going to see the ordinary index of refraction. Um, and as a result, there's a different phase shift going through the prism here than there is there. And as you adjust the uh, relative position of these two prisms faces, yeah. so as you push this in, so the, the thickness of the total material you go through changes, you can change the amount of birefringence that this adds. Usually the same. Yeah. But it would still be refraction at the end of it, right? Because the two indices are different from you know, different directions? Yes. But it's very small. That uh, the index difference of typical uh, uniaxial crystals is appears in the third, third or fourth uh, decimal place. Um, <coughs> or there's this, the Barrett compensator, and what this is is a uh, essentially it's a wave plate inside of here, and as you there's two different rings you can turn, and one turns the entire axis of the wave plate, so it changes the direction of the, the fast axis. And the other one actually tilts the wave plate inside of there. And by tilting it, it changes the amount of uh, birefringence seen, or the total thickness that you go through, and that affects the birefringence. And that allows you to change the, uh, the net birefringence by a full wave. Okay, so. These are devices where you can set delta phi. OK, so with these devices, we have Jones matrices. Um, we didn't drive this yet. We won't, but I'll just state this. For a vertical polarizer, we expect the y component to be transmitted perfectly and the x component to be blocked. Vice versa for a horizontal polarizer. If you want a polarizer at some arbitrary angle, the typical way to do that is to take a polarizer that's oriented at zero degrees, we'll call that a horizontal polarizer. Before you go through it, rotate your coordinate system by theta. Go through it and rotate your coordinate system back. So let's do that. Let's do that.
Okay, so if we want a polarizing beam splitter, or we call it a polarizer, with its transmission axis. Theta, uh, and we'll say that's relative to horizontal. Then we can assume we are interested in expressing that in a coordinate system where x is horizontal, y is vertical. If instead consider a coordinate system x prime y prime where theta is or the transmission axis is now along x then in that coordinate system I can express my polarizer as um, 1 0 0 0 so If I have a vector, that's defined in terms of x prime and y prime, that's what I'll multiply by this right, to get the, uh, the output. But if my vector is defined in terms of x and y instead. Then I can say this is ex, this is ey. And in my rotated coordinate system, that's rotated by theta, I'm going to need more colors. In my rotated coordinate system, this x component projects onto the x prime axis. With a magnitude that is um, cosine theta times its original value original coordinate system. And the y component also projects onto that axis. With a magnitude here, that is sine theta times its original value. And I can do the the same thing for the components of elect the electric field in the y prime direction. The x component 
projects onto the y-axis. It's minus sine theta times ex. And the y component projects onto the y-axis with a component that's plus cosine theta dy. So I can say um, ex prime ey prime equals cosine theta sine theta minus sine theta cosine theta. Yeah, I'm getting the opposite value of what I've got on my slide. Well, I, yeah, I could always define the direction as being the other direction. So I'll, I'll do that for now, although I think we'd more conventionally. Um, so here we can, our new coordinate system is rotated by plus theta. Plus theta is usually that. So I, I think I should change what's on the slide just for to be precise. OK, so this is what we're going to multiply through by this matrix. And we can write that as a rotation of our coordinate system by theta. So this R of theta, this represents the rotation matrix. Okay, so this So then once I go through, I've got a vector in my x prime, y prime coordinate system that I want to convert back. So now I should rotate my coordinate system by minus theta to go back. And when you do that, just the, uh, the minus sign flips on those on the corners. Okay, so we write that out. We can work through this. This matrix times this matrix is just going to keep the top row. And then we get cosine squared. cosine sine a sine cosine and then a sine squared
they actually do if I use the relationship that uh, 2 sine theta cosine theta is equal to sine 2 theta. The on diagonal ones are flipped because uh, I didn't define what axis that was measured with respect to. So I derived it for horizontal. I've got the opposite up here. It must be for vertical. Yeah. Okay, so I will add in text with respect to vertical, and I will change the signs in these two terms. Well, I was wondering, um, what we did is we found, we wrote in vectors basically, right? We have e e x, e y, and try to find the e x sign, e y sign. So, you know, like, is it different if we try to rotate the coordinate system? Yeah, it is. If you rotate a vector, that's opposite is rotating the coordinate system. Right, so I'm saying what you have might be correct, because this coordinate system rotation, and what we got was the vector. Oh, no, we, we didn't rotate the, the vector, we rotated the coordinate system. Yeah, well, it's confusing because if you look up uh, rotation matrix, you'll find the form is different depending on whether the vector is being rotated or the coordinate system. And so, um, so I always get confused with that. And obviously, I got confused here. Okay, so let's do an example of an amplitude modulator. Um, an amplitude modulator is a device that changes the amplitude of light going through it based on some external control signal. And typically, the way these things work is that there's a material that has a, an index of refraction that can be controlled by an electric field or a voltage. And if the index of refraction changes, the phase of the light that goes through the material changes. So let's consider a pair of cross polarizers with a variable wave plate in between the fast axis, in between. So our variable wave plate will let us change the, uh, the, the relative phase shift of the two polarization states. Okay. So it's going to look like this. Um, a linear polarizer, a variable wave plate, And then another linear polarizer that's at 90 degrees with respect to this one. What's the transmission of this light? Of the light as a function of the wave plate retardation. So if the wave plate has zero retardation, it's like it's not there, it's just an ordinary piece of glass, uh, what, how much of the light would be transmitted through these cross polarizers? Zero. So that's what we expect. And then as the retardation ramps up, it may not be obvious how that changes or if that changes, but we can uh, analyze this using Jones calculus. So we'll have an input here, an output light here. So we write that our output light is equal to this matrix times the polarization state here. We have to work from right to left when we write this out. Um, so I'm just going to write it sort of uh, schematically at first. Linear polarizer at zero degrees times the polarization state here. So the polarization state here is my variable wave plate at 45 degrees times the polarization here. 
And the polarization state here is my vertical linear polarizer times the input polarization state. So as our optical system is drawn left to right, the matrices that describe it go right to left. And that's often one of the stumbling blocks when you're doing this, is just getting the order right. OK, so linear polarizer at 0 degrees transmits x polarization blocks y polarization. A variable wave plate at 45 degrees well, we know for a variable wave plate at 0 degrees, we can express like this. And so what we want to do is apply a 45 degree rotation to our coordinate system here and a minus 45 degree here. So. some arbitrary polarization state at the input. Okay, so that's my matrix expression. Setting up the matrix expression is, I'd say the hard part. It's the part that's likely to cause errors. The hard part is just laboriously plugging through the uh, matrix calculations. You can calculate the matrix product of all these matrices and then multiply it by this vector. I find it tends to be easier, if I'm doing this by hand, to start on the right and multiply this vector times this matrix. Because then I've only got a vector, I've only got two terms to keep track of instead of four. Then I'll multiply that by this, and each step I'll basically trace the light through the system point by point instead of trying to deal with the whole system all at once. Okay, so I'm just gonna use quotation marks to note the uh, unchanged elements and This first polarizer blocks the x polarization. Right, so I can even write that easier as y. Yeah, blocks the x, transmits the y. OK, now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, since sine and cosine of 45 degrees are all 1 over the square root of 2, um, I can bring out 1 over square root of 2 and treat this as uh, 1 minus 1, 1, 1, right, times 0, 1, y in. And that gives me 
path minus 1, 1 uin. Okay, so my vertical polarization state here, when it gets rotated by 45, or my coordinate system is rotated by 45 degrees, I have linear polarization at 45 degrees in that coordinate system. Now I go through this phase delay. And I get um, the x component unchanged. The y component gets a phase shift. It's a variable wave plate, and I haven't said what that phase is yet. I, what I want to do is end up plotting the output versus phi. Okay, so now I'm going to multiply this by this matrix. Right, this matrix is going to have a 1 over square root of 2 in the front, and it's going to look like this, except the minus sign on that off diagonal gets moved to the other side. I get a 1 plus e to the i delta phi and a minus 1 plus e to the i delta phi. And now I only need the x component of that because only the x component gets through the last linear polarizer. And so this is going to look like. Write it like 1 plus e to the i delta phi over 2, 1, 0, e, y, n. OK, so I can see a couple things. Uh, the output's x-polarized. I expect that because I have a pol x-polarization polarizer at the output. Um, it only depends on the amount of y component that's input, which I expect because only the y component gets through the input. And the amount of light that gets through is going to depend somehow on this delta phi. If delta phi is equal to 0, OK, I missed something. Yeah, I must have. From here to here? From here to here? Yeah, yeah that should have been a minus 1. This got multiplied by this matrix. So this term didn't get changed. So that was a minus 1, and that's a plus 1. Thank you. OK, so I have minus 1 plus plus 1. If delta phi is 0, no output, which is what I said I would expect. Um, that means uh, none of the light gets through. I'm, I'm not done. I'm going to crunch that number a little bit more. So if we look at our expression. I'm going to write this 
as e to the i delta phi over 2 times minus e to the minus i delta phi over 2. Right, that times that is 1 with minus sign by minus 1. And plus e to the plus i delta phi over 2. This times this is e to the i delta phi. Okay, and the factor of 2, I'm going to bring over here. Right, so you recognize this. That's, uh, well, if I divide that by i and multiply that by i, now it's sine. Right, so I have some phase times sine of delta phi over 2. So the transmission of this system is going to be the output over the input. And if I want the power transmission, then I should take the magnitude squared. So the output over the input Let's assume I have my input polarized along y, so that EYN is, is EN. Then the output over the input is the absolute value of this vector squared. It's the length of the vector squared. Right? So the length of that vector is this. Or I can write it as sine delta phi over 2 times i e to the i delta phi over 2, 0. I'm just going to move this up here for the moment. And then when I take the absolute value squared, it's like multiplying by the complex conjugate. That works out to 1. So it's, yeah, thanks. Which is just to say, any phase factors go away when I take the absolute value. Uh, the polarization doesn't matter. Okay, if I've got this expressed as a unit vector, that's just a direction. It's not going to matter when I take the absolute value. And the amplitude term is squared, and that's, that's the transmission. Okay, so the transmission is a function of delta phi. It's going to look like sine squared. Right, and it will peak when delta phi equals pi. So the sine and cosine matrices go around the element that's tilted. The element itself is tilted by an angle theta. So I rotate my coordinate system beforehand by minus theta. Rotating the coordinate system by minus theta is like rotating the element by plus theta. 
coordinate system. Did I do it the opposite direction? Yeah. I think it's the same. Which two? Uh, interesting to note that you get the same result either way, actually. Um, turns out if you rotate the wave plate by plus 45 or minus 45 degrees, you're either adding this amount of phase or you're subtracting that amount of phase. And because it's sine squared and sine is an, since it's an even function, the end result doesn't matter. Okay, sometimes. I'm guilty of knowing the answer before I start the problem and then being a little bit sloppy with things like that. So I apologize for that. I'll try to fix that up a little bit. Um, okay, so this is a modulator in the sense that as you adjust the uh, phase shift of your retarder, you can change the output amplitude. So if we take like that compensator that we had and we can rotate um, the Barrett compensator to change the phase shift, that can between cross polarizers, that can change the output amplitude. So you can convert a mechanical rotation into an output amplitude change. Um, later on in chapter 20, we'll see that there are devices where you can change the, the retardation of the wave plate by an externally applied electric field. Yeah, so you can run wires and apply a voltage to your crystal and change the, the output power, like going through it. And that's basically what you stick out what you stick between a laser and a fiber optic system in order to encode data on it. And so you modulate the phase of the modulator, and that changes the amplitude of the light going through. You can put you know, analog or di digital signals on the light that way. And you can do it very rapidly, because if instead of having to mechanically move something, you just have to apply a changing voltage. You can do that with electronics, and you can do it at, at high speeds. Yeah, Paco cell does that. Or carousel will do that as well. And the barrier compensator you said, does it have those <coughs> cross polarizers? No, no, no. A barrier compensator itself just adds a, a, an adjustable phase shift, and which is useful for a lot of things. I mean, one reason you want to be able to control phase shift is to convert that into an amplitude change, but there are other, there are other reasons you might want it. Let's say, for example, you have uh, a modulator, an electro-optic modulator, you put in a voltage and it produces a phase shift. Um, and in the absence of any voltage, it produces zero phase shift. Okay? What that means is you're sta starting at this point on your diagram. Now for small signals applied to that, you're going to as you adjust the voltage applied to that, you're going to change the uh, phase back and forth by small amounts, and that's going to produce negligible change in the output power. So instead, what you'd like to do is start with a bias over here at pi over 2. And small changes in the phase around that bias will produce larger output amplitude changes. Um, 
So two ways to do that. One is you can apply what turns out to be a very large bias field, several megavolts per meter. I shouldn't say it. Several megavolts applied to the, um, to the crystal uh, capacitor will be enough to bias it there. That's not very practical. Instead, you could take, say, a Barrett compensator and put it in series and produce a static amount of phase shift and then a dynamic amount from your electro-optic modulators. So we'll talk more about that when we talk about modulators. Any questions on the Jones calculus? Okay, so um, one interesting thing we can analyze with Jones calculus is liquid crystals. So a liquid crystal is sort of an interesting device. It's a state of matter that's somewhere between liquids and crystals. Um, a crystal has molecules that are arranged in specific locations in space. In liquid crystals, the molecules have some elongated structure to them. So the individual molecules are, tend to be cigar-shaped, shown here. And their orientation is aligned, or there's uh, an order to their orientation, but they tend to lack positional order. And what's interesting is applied electric fields can change the, orient the orientation of those crystals and modulate the optical properties. So there's three types. There's pneumatic, which looks like this, where the orientation is ordered, but there's random positional uh, order. There's smectic, where there's positional order in one dimension. So they're oriented, uh, their orientation is aligned and their position is lie along planes. But within a plane, they're randomly distributed. And there's cholestric, which is basically this, the pneumatic, but its orientation changes helically as it goes uh, along in one direction. Okay, so pneumatic liquid crystals can be twisted so that they're like the cholestric ones. And an easy way to do this is take two pieces of glass, put the liquid crystal between them, and at the surfaces, these crystals tend to align up to any um, basically grooves in the glass. So if the glass has been polished, typically the polishing lap moves in a particular direction and puts micro scratches on the glass. These will align to the polishing direction. And if the polishing direction of the two windows is not the same, then the orientation of the crystal will adiabatically change from one surface to the other. Okay, so we can define a liquid crystal like this by two properties. One is, the, um, like any uh, uniaxial crystal, which is essentially what this is, there's a difference between the extraordinary axis, or the extraordinary index and the ordinary index. So we can uh, talk about how big that is, and that is given by the uh, coefficient beta. So it's the difference in the extraordinary and ordinary index, and it's typically multiplied by not. So it's the difference in the propagation constant. We can talk about how much the direction of the optical axis changes as a function of distance. So d theta dz. So theta is the direction of the optical axis. We call that alpha. You'll notice the dimensions on alpha are the same as those on beta. Right? So index of refraction is dimensionless. K 
the wave vector, 2 pi over lambda. So its dimensions are 1 over length. Likewise, alpha has dimensions of radians over length, or 1 over length. Okay, so we write them in that form so they can be compared. Um, and in particular, if beta is much larger than alpha, then the liquid crystal will guide the polarization of light along the, the twist direction. Okay, so we can see that using some Jones calculus. We can say that, um, that our crystal acts like a retarder, retards one polarization state relative to the other, and over a distance delta z, the amount of retardation is beta delta z. Remember, beta is the difference in the, um, the propagation constant. So we multiply that by a distance, we get a phase shift. And what we want to do is treat the crystal. So if we've got this our crystal, we want to divide it into layers such that in any given layer, the orientation of the molecules can be considered constant. Okay, and in, in those layers, it will be treated like a uniaxial crystal. And so we might have the optical axis being in one direction here, in a different direction here, and then it's slowly rotating between those. Okay, so for the nth layer, we can say this is the uh, phase shift in a distance delta z. And if the nth layer has its optical axis rotated by theta m, then we can write the Jones matrix for that layer by a rotation about theta m, propagation through the uh, retarder, and then rotation by minus theta m. So that's the Jones matrix for one layer. For all the layers, we just have to go through all n layers, so we multiply each individual matrix. And if we start to write that out, what we see is that um, for the final layer down here, the orientation of the optical axis is just theta, the final value for theta. So we have R of theta rotation by theta flanking our matrix. For the very first layer, this, direct, this uh, orientation is theta divided by the total number of layers, which I'll call delta theta. So there's n layers. Each one has the optical axis rotated by delta theta relative to the previous one. And after all n layers, we get a rotation of theta. Okay, so if the last one has an optical axis at theta, the layer before that has its optical axis at um, n minus 1 times delta theta, which is written right there. And then I can continue on and on until I get to the, the first layer. 
Well, a rotation by theta and then a rotation by minus n minus 1 delta theta. What that is is I'm rotating forwards by this amount and then backwards by this amount. It's a net rotation of delta theta. So the product of those two rotation matrices, um, backwards by n minus 1 delta theta and forwards by theta, is a net rotation of delta theta. And so for every pair of adjacent layers, there's going to be uh, two rotation matrices that combine to give me the rotation of delta theta. So I can um, write my transmission then as this r times minus theta, and then the product of the matrix for the uh, retarder times r theta for each of the n layers. Now, rewritten that up here so you can see where we were. If I say that um, delta theta is alpha delta z, alpha is how much the angle is changing with respect to distance, and the final angle then is alpha d, meaning the crystal has a thickness d. I can write those angles as alpha d and alpha delta z. And now, if I say alpha is much less than beta, what that's saying is that the crystal is twisting much more slowly than the uh, waves are drifting in and out of phase, uh, which is typical for uh, realistic-sized crystals. Then I can make my layers thin enough, I can make delta z thin enough that this rotation is negligible. This term is much larger than that term. The rotation is negligible, and I can just replace this by the identity matrix, giving me this to the nth power. Well, e to the i beta delta z to the nth power is e to the i beta n delta z. And n delta z is just the thickness of the crystal number of layers times the, the layer thickness. So I have a retardation by the total amount of retardation going through the crystal. And then I have a rotation by the total amount of rotation of the molecules in the crystal. And that's the transmission matrix for this device. So it's not changing the amplitude of the light, but it's introducing a phase shift, and then it's rotating the polarization to follow the crystal axes. OK, so that's where we are. That's the end of chapter 6. Uh, we're going to start acousto-optics uh, next time. And then we'll do electro-optics. Uh, it'll be kind of neat, because these are things that relate to devices that are being used in sort of modern telecommunications and uh, cutting-edge science experiments to do a lot of interesting things. So I think it gets more interesting at this point. So all of that, and that's what